Would you, while we wait, turn to Luke 2, verse 8 to 20. reading from Luke 2 verses 8 to 20. I'm reading from the NIV. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to all those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing day. Thank you for Sundays. Thank you for community. Thank you for this church. Thank you for dwelling with us and coming down. May you fill us with a new wonder of who you are and what you came to do and how you are our Prince of Peace. Amen. The Christmas story, filled with wonder and intrigue. We have a bright, shiny star, shepherds, a manger, an angel who appears and speaks, a virgin birth, wise men coming from the east with gifts for a king, and a mad King Herod. It makes for a story that captivates I think for many of us, and has filled us with wonders over the years. It's a story that is so detailed and so other than that it has to be God-made. The glory astounds us. And as we have traveled and as we're going to the next two weeks in Advent, we're getting our hearts ready for the day when we will get to celebrate the birth of the one who has given us life, Jesus Over this time, it's our hope that we would anticipate the birth of Jesus and think also of his second coming. This morning, we look on Jesus as our Prince of Peace. The prophets of old had told and spoke of the Messiah who was to come, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the one who would come to save and rescue God's people. Around 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 verse 14. The prophet Micah foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So the people were waiting for him. But when he came, he was nothing 
that they ex- expected. They didn't recognize him. They knew him not. Have you ever thought about why Jesus needed to come and what it took for him to be with us on earth? You see, the Trinity existed in perfect harmony, absolutely content. They enjoyed perfect existence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully complete, fully satisfied, fully content with one another. And like the song we just sang, they didn't need us, but they chose us. Why then did this perfect, holy relationship and interplay need to change? Because of our desperate need. Our Creator looked down at His creation and knew it would take only God to save us. You see, we were dead to our sin. We were depraved and desperately needed saving. No amount of sin offerings or sacrifices would suffice and save us from God's righteous wrath and judgment which was due and deserved and very necessary. Unless God made a way for us, we were dead in the water. The wrongs needed to be righted, the justice of God to be satisfied. The only way was for God himself in the form of his son to dwell among us, to die our death, to exchange our sin for his righteousness, to reconcile us to God so that we could be alive in him to be restored from our deserved enmity with God. Paul Tripp says it like this, God wouldn't leave his world in its evil, scarred condition of brokenness. He was unwilling to leave us lost in our sin and in hopeless bondage to the rebellion of our own evil hearts. He wouldn't let his story end with dark moral failure and the requisite divine judgment. God changed our story. It's all on him. He found a way so that we could be adopted into his family, into his story, forever changed and being changed only through his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, our perfect peace giver. So we sit here this day knowing all this because we sit on the other side of the cross. And as such, we have accepted our sonship. But what did it cost Christ? What was it like for Jesus to live on earth? I'm not saying that Jesus' time here was completely joyless, but he found himself in a world that was unsuited to his perfect holiness. He could never be totally at home here. He must have felt that he was made for something else. I think the nearest we could ever get to that feeling would be a kind of homesickness. We sometimes get a glimmer of what it was like when we feel more and more alien to the world around us. The culture is changing. Christian and being Christian is not what it used to be like. We are becoming more and more alien. But mostly, we have become numb to sin and its perversity. You see, we've breathed in its atmosphere for so long that we've lost the ability to taste or smell its deathly pollution. We think of the world as normal, So we don't often think about the Son's willingness to come in the likeness of men, Philippians 2 verse 7 tells us, and to live here and to breathe our polluted air. Paul Tripp again, I'm quoting him quite a bit this morning, said, Let these words ring in our hearts for a moment. God took on human form. God became man. Deity took on humanity. Glory came to earth in common human form. It's profound, isn't it? What must it have been like for him to become the stranger, 
the one who endured from sinners such hostility against himself? What must it have been like for his sinless soul, deeply sensitive as it was to the pollution in the atmosphere that surrounded him to love among us, and then for our hatred for his holiness to lead him to his horrific death on the cross? And yet he came, and yet he loved and showed us a different way. Isn't he just lovely? As we gaze upon his beauty and think of all he has done, it has to cause us to worship this morning. Gaze upon him today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face, for he has done great things for us. We have seen that God in the form of his son came, but we need to remember why and who we are by nature, that we are hostile to God. Luke 2 verse 14 reads, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst all those on whom he is pleased. Jesus is our peace. But why do we need his peace? Because we are naturally at odds with God. You see, we always fight to take control. From the Garden of Eden, we see this battle. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to control our lives, our futures, our relationships. And actually the world tells us that we can do anything that we want. We can be the masters of our own destiny, but we are answerable to no one. And this causes strife in our relationships. Our sin has consequences between us and God, and us and our fellow man. There is chaos and destruction, brokenness and strife. It's a battle we fight with always. Our will against God's will. Our way against His way. All our days will be spent learning to surrender. To surrender our hearts, our ways, our purposes to align with God's will. To take our hands off the wheel and allow God to direct our paths. And to learn to live in peace with God and man. It's a huge struggle, isn't it? As I've gotten on in my life, and yes, I know for some of you I may be old, but actually I'm saying I'm not. (laughs) I can look back and see my fight against God's ways, my selfishness, my conceit, which has distanced me from my creator and caused chaos at times with those whom I love and work with. Paul Washer reminds me that each passing year increases my conviction that all I have is Jesus. Oh, how I need Jesus. My best intentions are often totally off base, and God in his great kindness has always brought me back to him. But over and over again, God has shown me that I control nothing. That so often situations will arise over which I can do nothing, and I'm a fixer by nature, a maker of a plan. But I've been shown so often that my plans don't often work out. You see, my wanting to hold on to the control leads to hostility between me and God and also creates conflict with those whom I love, my colleagues, my family, my friends. So I must learn to let God show me and lead me. It's always a challenge. Most importantly, then, family, We must remember that our rebellion and hostility towards God and the sin that encumbers us, if not for Christ and the gospel, would not go unpunished. I promise you there is hope coming soon. 
Romans 6, 6 verse 26 reads, The wages of sin is death. So no matter how hard I try, by my own effort, I cannot make it right with God. Even on my best day, my best efforts, when I think I'm really doing okay, even then, my goodness is like dirty menstrual cloths before God, the Bible tells me. So I and you, in our natural selves, and by default, are at war with God. Our sin is both vertical against God and horizontal against one another. It's a pretty sorrowful situation. We are in desperate need of a mediator. One who can fight for us and stand up for us on our behalf before God. One who will help us with our relationships on earth. One who can show us a different way. And his name is Jesus. This is good news indeed. Jesus is our mediator. The one who stands in our place. The greatest reminder about the Christmas story is that Jesus is born to live on earth, to die for us, to rise from the dead, and to sit on the right hand of God the Father, to intercede on our behalf and to reconcile us with God. God and sin is reconciled. And remember the famous hymn reminds us, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. God has a dispute of, with us because of our sin. Sin is described in the Bible as a transgression of God the law of God and a rebellion against him. God hates sin because he is so holy. And sin stands between us and him. It separates us from him. Romans 3 verse 10 reminds us there is no one righteous, not even one. We are all sinners by virtue of the sin we inherited from Adam and because of the sin we commit daily. And the only penalty for sin is death in God's eyes. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. So I need to remind us this morning that we can do nothing on our own to right this wrong. No amount of good works or law keeping can make us right with God. Without a mediator, we are destined to be and have an eternity of hell. We cannot and we are unable to save ourselves, but we have this great hope and it's the hope of Christ what he has done and what he continues to do for us 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man of Jesus Christ Jesus represents us when we put our trust in him before God's throne of grace he mediates for you and me you can smile about that <laughs> Much like a defense attorney mediates for his client, telling the judge, Your Honor, my client is innocent of all charges against him. So too, when we face God, we will do so as forgiven sinners because of what Christ has done for us. He has taken our sin. He is our defense attorney. But he goes extra. He goes further by taking on the penalty that we deserve. He takes it on himself. What a God. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The first covenant was broken because of Adam's sin. And so we see that it is because of our Jesus as our mediator, that we are able to stand before God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. On the cross, Jesus exchanges our sin 
for his righteousness. His mediation is the only way we get to be given the gift of salvation. Jesus has brought us who know him and acknowledge him as Savior to have peace with God. And because of this, we can live a life marked by peace. The peace we are speaking of is a shalom peace. It's a Hebrew word and it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict or stress or suffering. Shalom means to be whole, to be complete. And it carries with it the ideas of delight, to flourish, a sense of well-being. It's a wholeness. Sometimes an analogy is used of it being a complete stone wall where there are no missing bricks or gaps. This is Jesus promising us and promising to make us whole as he is our peace. He is our shalom. It's a peace that we cannot comprehend or understand. It's a peace that is not dependent on our circumstances. It's a peace that we find in the midst of our terrible circumstances, our struggles, our suffering. Jesus is even in these things making us whole. Can I ask us this morning if you are aware of the gaps in your life? Are there areas that God's wholeness and peace are missing? We need to be reminded that Jesus gains for us not only reconciliation with God, but also a wholeness in God. It's a wholeness that's not dependent on what we see, it's not dependent on our money. It's not dependent on our success. It's not dependent on other people. It's a peace, a shalom that we can only gain in Christ. And slowly, brick by brick, Jesus is replacing the painful gaps in our walls with God's wholeness. My prayer for us this morning is that we would find peace, even as others misunderstand, misrepresent, and oppose us because of our faith. That we would find peace to faithfully endure suffering and sickness. That we would find peace as we wrestle with God through our doubts and questions. We would find peace in our relationships, in our singleness, in our marriages. That we would find peace at work, in our broken dreams, in our unemployment, and our lives which often look very different from what we imagined. May God give us peace in our anger, in our fear, in our anxiety, in our sorrow, and grief. May the Lord Jesus fill in, brick by brick, those painful gaps in our walls and make us whole. We are called to be peacemakers. In Romans 14 verse 19, Paul urges the local church, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbringing. Here he's instructing the church to keep their unity through the bond of peace. And he points to humility, patience, and bearing with one another in love as the means to do this. Jesus was king, the Messiah. The people expected him, though, to come and crush his enemies, to reign over all. But his life was so different, wasn't it? He came, he lived, he showed us a different way to live and to be. He was a man of great humility. He was compassionate and loved all. He befriended and dined with the lowly, the outcast, the forsaken, the lost, the sinner. He was a man of peace. Even when accused, beaten, and rejected, he was like a lamb brought to the slaughter. He was quiet, resigned to do the will of his father, and obedient unto death, all for us. For us who nailed him on that cross, it was because of us he bled and died. But in his death, 
As we have heard, he has victoriously reconciled all things in heaven and on earth. He has restored us peace with God. We see in his life the working out of taking all that is broken and restoring it to wholeness. That's our Jesus, and we are called to do the same. Are you a peacemaker? Are you humble and patient and loving towards one another? Do you fight to see the good in your brother and sister? Do you give them the benefit of the doubt? Or do you forgive them 70 times 7? At this time of year, things are pretty crazy. We're so busy running around, working to complete those deadlines, to get on holiday, shopping to fill those lists of all the things we need for Christmas vacations and gifts and lunch, things we need to buy, things we need to do, everything keeping us preoccupied, distracted and busy. Too busy for God, too busy for our friends, just too busy. I urge us to stop. I urge us to find our rest in God, to dwell in Him and His Word, to lie in His great green pastures next to His quiet stream, to allow Him to restore our souls. Oh, how we need that. Don't you? I came across an Instagram Insta post which sets this out so succinctly. So young. So young at heart. It's by Ian Simpkins and it reads like this. Emmanuel, God with us. That means he is with us in the ER, in the divorce attorney's office, during finals changing nappies. He is with us in prison on the first date, during the ugly cry in the drop-off line. He is with us in therapy, at the top, in the delivery room, doing dishes. He is with us in the taxi, at the custody hearing, at the table, in AA. He is with us in the waiting room, during chemo, in recovery, at the funeral. He is with us today, tomorrow, on December the 25th, and every day after. And God not only wants to bring peace to you, He wants to bring peace through you. There are people in your life whose lives are broken, loved ones whose dreams have been shattered, co-workers who feel hopeless. You have neighbors and acquaintances who are going through tragedy, and are trying to pick up the pieces. The peace that God has for you is also a peace he wants to shine through you. Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. Let's bring some light to the world. And lastly, the message is not to be afraid, to not fear. Luke 2 verse 10 reads, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The message is that the shepherds should not fear. Imagine them trembling. This huge angel of God appearing and speaking. They must have been petrified. These were simple, lowly men watching their sheep in the fields. And God shows up. Wow. The great takeaway from this part of the story is the good news is for all people. This opens up a way for us to enter in. Prior to this, the blessings, the covenants, the promises were all all only for God's chosen people. But this gives us a hint of things to come. Jesus was the one who would open wide the gates so that we could enter in. He made a way for us to become his children, to be found, accepted, 
loved as his own. The great divide torn in two. We will remember the holy curtain being torn in two at Jesus' death, forever destroying the divide that exists between us and God. And so this is indeed good news. We can experience great joy and everlasting peace and not fear. All our tomorrows secure in our Saviour's hands. What then shall we fear? We've received our adoption. We are fully accepted, fully loved and fully reconciled, accepted by God and forgiven for eternity. Romans 8, one of my favorite passages, 8.31, sums this up so beautifully. It reads, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who then, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And to do this, we need to take our eyes off the ever-changing world we see around us and to keep our eyes fixed on the one who never changes. Our God is the same God of the Old Testament. He is the same God today, and he will be the same God tomorrow to eternity. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is our God. He has done everything for us. He will not let us go. So we can trust him and we can experience his peace. We do not have to fear what lies ahead of us because he is with us to the end of the age. He is the light in our darkness. He is the hope we can cling to. He is our peace in the chaos. He is our joy amidst our hardship. And because of this, we can forever praise his name. Amen. We're going to go into having a time of sharing bread and cup. If you would like to just go and grab it and then we will take it from there. Everything is at the back. Um,